Welcome everyone to the second event of the Solana Wormhole Hackathon. Today we are doing a DeFi recap where we're going to do an analysis of the recent DeFi boom and a look into the next future and wave of DeFi. We have an absolutely incredible, incredible panel for you all today. We have uh, Sai, who is the founder of Ave. We have Tron, who is the CEO and founder of Gauntlet. We have Jeremy, who is head of growth from Balancer. Michael, who is the founder and CEO of Curve. Anatoly, who is the CEO and co-founder of Solana. And then we have Sam Bankman-Fried, who is the CEO and founder of Alameda Research and FTX, who will be taking my spot in just a moment. Uh, I appreciate you, you all tuning in. It's going to be about an hour-long conversation. And just a few quick recaps. We have a chat section, which I see... A lot of folks are already making use of, and we also have a questions tab. So throughout the throughout the panel, just kind of post your questions in there, and we'll spend the last ten or fifteen minutes answering them off for y'all. Um, you can upvote questions in the tab, and we'll probably take the the top five to not take up too much time. So once again, thank you, thank you all uh, for the panelists for joining us, and and have fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off stage now, and I'll bring I'll bring Sam on. Totally, uh, it's all you. Awesome. Hey folks, like uh, I mean, uh, normally we'd be grabbing a beer at a bar somewhere at a conference, uh, but looks like we get to do this over Zoom this time. But like, really cool to see everyone again. Um, so like, we had a kind of a crazy like summer i would say like we launched like three days after black the black swan of like in in like march um and we thought like the world is going to fall apart and turns out it didn't turns out actually like a lot of cool stuff was you know folks have been building a lot of really cool stuff in the background and i couldn't have even predicted like a perfect opportunity to try all the stuff because all of a sudden you had like you know a million of the most innovative and intelligent people all stuck at home looking at for something to do <laughs> interesting in crypto. And like, I think to me, that was like a big part of it. Um, I kind of want to give you guys a chance to like introduce yourselves and like kind of briefly mention like what you're working on and like what you see DeFi coming out of this boom into like, I think, how, how do you see the space maturing? Um, so like start, I, I'm going to go down the list of the, of you folks as it looks like on my screen, which could be different. So I'll start with Jeremy um, first. Sure, thanks Anatoly. Uh, my name is Jeremy Musigi. I'm the head of growth at Balancer Labs. Um, I support the community-driven expansion of the Balancer protocol. Um, previously uh, founded and sold to tech companies. Uh, I've been a crypto investor and researcher since 2013. And um, a little about Balancer, it's a generalized AMM protocol, which uh, serves as a building block for DeFi and powers a lot of different types of applications, including a decentralized exchange, index funds that are managed or automated, uh, fair and transparent, IDO, uh, token sales, and uh, smart treasuries, and a lot more. Awesome. Yeah, really cool. Really good to have you. Um, and uh, Michael, 
uh, Igorov, do, uh, if do you want to kind of introduce yourselves real, real yeah, quick? Yeah, sure, sure. Yes, um, Michael, founder of, of Curve, and uh, well, Curve started in January this year and uh, um, worked without any token before August, and now we have a DAO, and uh, um, it's uh, fully decentralized and looks like it's uh, it got right in time with all the uh, DeFi boom and all the demand for uh, for on-chain liquidity. Uh, well, and that obviously applies to Balancer too, right? So, so briefly, just to folks don't know, Perv uh, is primarily focused for stable coins, right? And Balancers, kind of like baskets right. of random things. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, and to me, it's been cool to see how you go from like a very simple concept of an AMM and now how things are fracturing and specializing and that there's just a ton of innovation happening kind of going into the in, into the specialization side. Um, so Stani, do, uh, if I pronounced your name correctly, uh, do, can you introduce yourself and Ave? Uh, sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm Stani. Uh, uh, I'm the uh, founder and CEO of, of Ave. Uh, Ave is a, a team that contributes to the other protocol, which is a decentralized money market protocol. Uh, practically, uh, the idea is to uh, have for cryptographic assets uh, on-chain interest rate in, in transparent, uh, permissionless uh, fashion. And I, I've been uh, hustling this <laughs> DeFi thing for, for a few years now. Uh, before Aave, we used to be called uh, ETHLEND, which is short for Ethereum Lending. That was the first on-chain uh, lending protocol. And I think this year, as we launched in January, it has been a very uh, amazing year for us, um, mostly because we finally see like a good amount of ecosystem activity uh, compared to what, what it used to be a couple of years ago. And uh, for us, it has been a pretty nice traction so far. And uh, in terms of functionality, how our protocol is interesting is that all the liquidity that's that's in the smart contracts that that isn't borrowed out uh, can be used to uh, uh, flash borrow. So you can take a flash loan for one Ethereum transaction and uh, do all kinds of things, and then return the the flash loan as well. So that's kind of our uh, thing. And now we're focusing on on our version two and uh, getting the, the whole protocol uh, more decentralized. That, that's super cool. Like flash loans are one of those things that kind of like mentally blew me away as as folks both saw it as a as like a, a bug, but I always like immediately saw it as like almost like garbage collection like you do in like Java or something like that, but for finance. It, it just seems like a, a beautiful like construct to be able to like do this like atomic thing within like a financial system. Um, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. And like actually Tarun is the next in my like screen. Uh, him and I had like a podcast where we argued about the stuff, mostly in agreement. So like, I don't know, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Tarun. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Gauntlet. Uh, we basically do uh, economic stress testing and governance participation in um, DeFi protocols, and we're working on a system to help sort of 
automate a lot of quantitative decisions people have to do, generating recommendations and making it so that you know you don't have to understand what you know the analog of LIBOR is in Aave or Compound or 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 you know what you know what type of portfolio you're holding in in uh, in Curve when you're LP. Um, yeah, and I guess I've been kind of in the space in a bunch of different ways for a while, and uh, I think it's been interesting to see the financialization narrative, you know, finally come true after a few years of, of kind of watching proof of stake kind of almost get to this level of hyper financialization and then miss it sort of recently. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and like, I think the last person on the list, uh, Sam, um, brief intro. Yeah. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm the, uh, CEO and co-founder of Alameda research and FTX. Um, and I've also been spearheading project serum. Um, and I, I mean, whatever, there's a lot going on. Um, and I, I tweet about it like too many times a day. So, probably this is just uh, repetitive for most people, but um, I don't know, I guess sort of like, you know, newest things coming out here is I, you know, from a high level, I think on the serum side, we sort of see the order books is like the most impressive and powerful thing that we could release um, and probably sing single most useful thing and, and most powerful proof of concept, uh, but it's not a decentralized ecosystem in and of itself. It's one DAP. Um, I think it's the way we think about it. But, but Serum is sort of meant to be way more than one dApp, and I think composability is a huge piece of that. And so I think what, what we're looking at over the next month is a ton of other dApps coming out um, on, on Solana, uh, all composing within the Serum ecosystem, um, which I think will sort of take it from like the best decks to um, a fully-fledged uh, you know, decentralized ecosystem. Awesome. Like, um, so like, I'll, I'll kind of give a brief intro. If, you, if folks who don't know who I am, you're in the Solana hackathon. <laughs> I, I hope you know that I'm, I'm the co-founder CEO and Solana is like, the, the weird thing about like the project is when I started it, I had this idea that we're going to decentralize NASDAQ. And it, it was literally like kind of pounding the table that these systems are places for traders to connect and, and figure out a price on something and do it in like a, like a, the most fastest, like low latency open way possible. Um, and it was really hard for, I think folks to kind of get that vision um, until like this DeFi boom happened. And then they kind of think in retrospect, it's obvious that almost like Ethereum is like a, an exchange where price discovery occurs through AMMs and other protocols. And now Solana is, was designed for this idea of a club style price discovery, which is a bit more throughput intensive. Um, and I'm excited to see, like, I think both of these worlds combine. Do you guys like from your perspective and how you're building your financial instruments, do you see layer ones as separate ecosystems, all part of the same ecosystem? Is it like Android versus iOS where you're going to end up building on both? Or is it more like, you know, Solana is, you know, like Binance and Ethereum is Huobi and you're like plugged in on Huobi right now and then eventually you'll move over to another one simply because this is where money moves. Like what, what do you guys kind of see like layer ones as from your, from your point of view? 
Um, I think I from the point of view of a, of a uh, you know project uh, like a like a, a Dex like Balancer, <clears throat> I think it makes sense for a decentralized project to have a home on a particular layer one. But I also think there's uh, you know there there can be a lot of value to bridging and connecting uh, and interoperating with other layer ones. Uh, I think that one of the big challenges with um, you know expanding or building your protocol on other uh, blockchains, like if you're you know an Ethereum-based project, for example, is that um, it's it's really hard to manage a, a project that lives on multiple chains. It's like it's not two times as hard to to be on two two chains. It, it might be you know I don't know four times as hard or something or something like that. So. Um, I think there are definitely pros and cons. Yeah, um, kit number three is the easiest because you've already like established <laughs> some scale into, into like dealing with kids. But I could I could see the, the the second one is kind of the hardest typically. Uh, like Michael, how do you how do you, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean uh, it's it's usually very hard to for for like a different layer one chain to take off because I think that network effects of layer one are the strongest. And although Ethereum is super slow uh, compared to some other chains like Solana, it's still like, like everything lives on Ethereum. Of course, it's very secure, that's good, but uh, yeah, the speed is, is not really great. And uh, um, it would be nice to see like, um, to see maybe either other chains being used uh, as instead of layer two or maybe layer two solutions. But for that to happen, I guess one needs uh, exactly the same form of smart contracts being executable there. So like you don't have to rewrite. And also there is also always a question of composability. Like uh, how do you interact with everything else? And if one project goes to one L2, another goes to another L2, third project goes to uh, like to a different, uh, to Solana, another project goes to Polkadot, and then like this doesn't compose. And, uh, and then everything is still in Ethereum. So, um, and yeah, so <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, but, but like, of course, if, uh, if Ethereum scaling uh, in a, doesn't come soon in a convenient form, we will be forced to go somewhere, but I don't know what exactly will be the chain where scaling, scaling happens. Will it be some Ethereum L2 or will it be Solana, for example? Yeah, to sort of tack on to that, I think, you know, Michael really hit the nail on the head there with composability being the brutal thing uh, when you try to do anything other than all congregate on the same L1, um, because you just very quickly start losing a bunch of pieces of composability and a bunch of sort of the core value of it. And um, anything core composability is extremely powerful and also is, is somehow still underutilized in DeFi right now. Like I think a lot of the growth potential is utilizing it better than it is right now. And you sort of start backsliding if you, if you sort of fracture. Um, and, and that's certainly been one of the, you know, one of the biggest challenges for Serum, for Solana and for any 
other layer one, I think people are underestimating how big of a challenge that's going to be for layer twos. As sort of Michael pointed out, like I think people see L2s as like the magical solution to this, but I think it's actually terrible on these grounds. Like that it's sort of like the whole idea is fracturing everyone between lots of like only dubiously composable ecosystems. Yeah, I think like one of the things about even like uh, related to the, the 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 hackathon here and 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 like ecosystem wise, like the the problem for example for Aave is that we're looking at this uh, various different layer two solutions, and as as Michael pointed out, it's it's very difficult to be the kind of like a first mover to go somewhere, um, especially kind of like if if the ecosystem doesn't exist and you can't like copy. Uh, whole system that is, for example, in Ethereum, and just replicate it in, for example, in another blockchain or layer two, uh, because kind of like the the idea of the ecosystem uh, born from the roots. So, so basically, what uh, if you look at something like Solana and and you know this kind of events like hackathons and, and building things, the idea is actually to kind of like get some ideas and and, and build new interesting. Products. There might be AMMs, there might be lending protocols, uh, there might be something else, but they have their own twist, and that that's make, makes it interesting to get the liquidity there. Projects like Aave is, is even more challenging because we have to follow orders, like we have to follow uh, basically the index liquidity that there's uh, uh, secondary market prices, possibility to liquidate positions, and and then of course that uh, there's some kind of a uh, issuance, uh, for example, stable coins and assets uh, in, in general, but it, it's very difficult. But I, I think in some way I see, you know, that there doesn't need to be even like a uh, situation where one layer two wins everything or that's used because, I, I mean, you could apply different level of security on different kinds of transactions. You know, if, if, you, if you want the level of security uh, and composability of Ethereum, uh, settle there, settle as often as you want there. If you want something more high frequency, uh, basically you could use Solana and, and settle transactions, uh, for example, there and a bunch of other things. So it's, it really is probably starts to become more an ecosystem of uh, uh, categories. It might be like where you want to trade high frequency, where you, for example, just need deep liquidity for, for uh, uh, lending or, or some other uh, swaps. So I, I think categorization might be something that happens, but still liquidity will move from one place to another. Tarun, what, what are your I, thoughts? Yeah, I guess the the thing I, I would add to this is, you know, proof of work is a, a well battle tested uh, form of uh, security, and it has a lot of, a lot of advantages over uh, most things for data availability reasons, for people dropping out reasons, for, for kind of some partition types of problems. And I think having a decade of experience with that is the reason that the majority of stablecoin velocity is staying on proof of work and you're not going to really see meaningful stablecoin velocity off proof of work chains for a while until there is actually really, you know, a, a decade long CV for a proof of stake chain that really makes um, asset managers and those with, with significant funds being willing to rebalance portfolios. Um, that being said, uh, I think it's it's kind of a, I think it's it's kind of a, you know it's there's going to be there's going to be kind of an evolution similar uh, in weird ways less to financial systems but a little bit like the Linux kernel where uh, you know 
the Linux kernel took 20 plus years to actually do multi-threading and multi-processing correctly to get the scheduler working, to get SMP working, <laughs> to get all the, the request for ownership uh, you know, state machines working, all, all the stuff that like you used to do Anatoly in like hardware, that type of stuff took 20 plus years for the Linux kernel. And it, it, that was why Microsoft kind of won for a long time. And I kind of see the same thing developing where you have a kind of hierarchy of systems with different levels of security, like Sandy said, kind of different uh, kind of homogenous ecosystem until all of these kind of uh, threading and processor problems are, are, are solved and we're just not, this is the 1970s in computing right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree, like these systems like just require, like I don't think it's gonna take another 10 years, right? The next iteration usually takes half the time. So it's gonna take five years for like these new systems to establish the same kind of like gut level security as the as proof of work um so i'm curious like with, with what you mentioned about stable coins and kind of like how you guys see the space are the the assets that we're going to be trading are they going to be more native assets or like issued assets like external stuff coming in or is it going to be like native born things that are running on the chain like where, where do you guys see like kind of like the near term how would you there are three, a lot of things i don't know how to classify there like you know would you classify you know huobi token as a native erc20 token let's ignore maybe they're gonna come out with their own chain or something <laughs> like that or is that like a you know just some like asset thing like how do you how do you think about something which is neither a stable coin nor like a you know and like really fundamental to the chain I would say like, because they kind of control it, the control it, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. That's like, you can, how, what's the difference between that and the governance token, right? right. Like it's just a corporation called Quobi is what's controlling it. Um, it's almost, it's hard to say, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, but, but do, I guess you, but do you see that? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. But, yeah, but I guess your question was more like about, uh, something like uh, USDC, which is an external asset versus, I don't know, DAI, right? USDC yeah. is obvious, right? So it's like yeah. maybe Euro, right? But yeah, I guess, <laughs> like, I guess both. Like we will see, probably see like more, um, more assets uh, which are coming from, from the uh, real world, like more currencies, like, I don't know, Euro, Swiss franc, whatever and uh, uh, they probably will work really well for for deposits like for example there is a redeemable um uh, korean won which is currently not very much used but maybe if deep liquidity is created for that it will be used because it can be deposited with let's say zero fee and if it's a, if there is a good amm between uh, you know korean won and usdc maybe maybe it will be used for like for Korean people to to go into crypto, and uh, yeah, I guess same applies to all fiat currencies, and also maybe I don't know there are there are also stocks, I don't know gold, whatever. But also there are native assets, a tokens for uh, for Avi, they are native assets, right? Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, maybe well, we need to have the 
we need to have the pool in uh, Curve. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, right. We need to finally roll it out. That's right. Uh, and uh, also, uh, there are assets uh, like staked assets. Like, for, for example, there are like many stakeable projects out there. I don't know, like uh, New Cypher, Keep, uh, Livepeer. Uh, on, uh, that's only on Ethereum, also like, you know, uh, Polkadot, uh, um, Tezos, whatever. And uh, I, I can see like stake, staking derivatives being also some uh, blockchain native assets. So they, uh, they are not external, they are like really native to blockchain. And I can quite see how they can be, uh, they can be useful. So like, yeah, both. Yeah, actually, I, I want to step in on the staking derivatives point because I, I definitely agree that that's the that's the way that proof of stake actually gets the money velocity that looks kind of like the money velocity associated to proof of work chains. If you think about the history of, of cryptocurrencies, you know, in two thousand eleven through thirteen, you know, everything revolved around miner financing. Everyone who's a miner had a bunch of Bitcoin. They need wanted to borrow against it, they wanted to sell quanto derivatives, uh, kind of, you know, indexed against a, a Bitcoin-based oracle, which is how we got Bitmax. Uh, and there was kind of this whole, the whole ecosystem of derivatives and trading really grew around minor finance, both in terms of pooling, uh, dealing with the SPVs for pools, dealing with income sharing agreements, uh, making the derivatives exchanges make sense. And in proof of stake, we don't see that level of financial activity amongst validators, partially because validators are reminding me of miners in 2010. They're kind of very unsophisticated financially, and it takes a while for the infrastructure to kind of be around so that they don't have to really, really know the, the devil in the details. But once you actually enable lending for validators uh, and stakers in the same way that lenders existed for, for proof of work, uh, vehicles, both for pools, as well as for hardware lending and hardware borrowing, you'll start to see a much higher money velocity that will require, you know, stable coin velocity to also be on the proof of stake chains. And whether those are native or whether those are USDC just really depends on the validators financial needs themselves. And, and you know, that that remains to be seen if the validator pool is similarly averse to uh, the BSA as miners are. Interesting, by the way, how much, uh, like, even thinking about something like na native kind of, uh, you know, stable coins such as DAI, basically how much there is also uh, the underlying that's, that's derived from a custodial uh, uh, asset and, and, and kind of like uh, we actually don't have that many uh, clean uh, stable coins that are crypto native, which aren't at some way deriving to from the uh, underlying, let's say, uh, dollar that it's that it's living on a uh, bank account. I think there's just no way, almost theoretically, to do that. Like, there's no concept of a dollar on a blockchain. Any any way, like, eventually, it's all gonna have to bottom out into a bank account, or an, with a centralized custodian, or an oracle onto uh, some company that has a bank account with a centralized custodian, or you know, you can put different intermediaries there, but I mean, it's all Coinbase in the end, sort of. Zero knowledge tether. There's an unknown number of deposits. 
there are ways to. I wanted to like clarify. I think that there's like a clear distinction between like a central company or corporation issuing a token like Quobi and something that is like a decentralized protocol with governance that's tied to the activities of the ecosystem. And I think that those are two different things. Like Quobi is like an interesting kind of like sits in between because they're an exchange that is clearly in the ecosystem in the broader sense, but it's not like Quobi is running on Solana, right? Or Ethereum, right? Like I think like a DAI or Aave or Balancer, like protocols that are like curve, like, you know, like that they are in the ecosystem and that activity is part of it, right? Like it's like kind of in the box. Like, do you guys, so do you guys see that in the box tokens, like as being like higher value, like in terms of like long-term or do, are we going to just see kind of like a mixed bag of like, you know, Tesla stocks and Apple stocks and all this other stuff? or whatever, you know, whoever takes the plunge first in the United States. I, I guess, I guess. The, yeah, go ahead, Sam. I was gonna say like, I think that like, there's, uh, I, I think a lot of it, medium term, is gonna be related to something from outside the ecosystem um if you think about like and and i think the only like i think dexes are maybe an exception to this um or like various things that charge on-chain fees are are like a, a sort of an exception to this um but you know sort of outside of that it almost has to be have some relation to something from outside um but you know if e5 really grows a lot and a lot of companies are building on it you know, you might get to the sort of Bitcoin point where like now Bitcoin is, is money, you know, and like it's you don't need to have like, you know, some number of dollars worth of Bitcoin. You can have Bitcoin. Everyone sort of agrees that's like basically money and you might get the, get to that point for other crypto assets over time uh, to the extent that like, uh, you know, more of the world's ecosystem moves on chain. I guess this is why I, I, I still kind of think these ecosystems grow really well when they focus around validator financing needs. And so minor financing was sort of the necessity as the mother of all innovations for derivatives trading and for a lot of kind of building up the early Bitcoin financial industry. And stakers just haven't seemed to care that much yet. And like, you know, I, I agree someone needs a bank account, but Hopefully the bank account is the validator who needs to like convert their souls into dollars somehow, or like borrow against their future souls. Like they're, they expect to earn a million souls the next year. They want to go buy some more capital to buy more souls because they're effectively leveraged long. They somehow need to go borrow against their souls. Right. And like that whole circular ecosystem money velocity growth needs to somehow be there. And, I think there are a lot of interesting solutions I've seen of like borrowing stable coins against your staked assets that are a stake and derivative that that might actually like, you know, shrink the time window that it takes to go from like new asset to like there's a whole money velocity lending and trading ecosystem around it. So like the, the point you bring up was kind of like leading to my next question, 
was that like in proof of work, there was like a clear need to spend a lot of money for miners to buy more hardware. In proof of stake, we don't kind of have that need, right? Like validators set up one box and it gets cheaper every year to run it, <laughs> right? It doesn't even it doesn't even get more expensive, and there isn't a lot of point to setting up ten boxes, um, despite of what people like trying to pump up full node numbers. <laughs> I mean, like, I think like in governance, there isn't like there's a some point to having some amount of participants in governance, but like, is there like limits to the size of like the governance body, like that you see in DeFi protocols? Like, do you guys like, like, what is like the benefit of getting, you know, 100, like 10x more governance participants? Is there any, or is it like, is more always better? Or is there like a point where you kind of see diminishing returns? And it, does that mean engaged governance participants? Because I think that's like a, a big part of the question and a big part of the problem with governance today, where like, I, I think I, you know, um, I personally hold governance tokens for several projects and my level of passion, dedication, you know, prioritization of each of those projects is, it differs. I cannot give 100% as a governance participant to all of them. So, um, you, know, uh, you know, that just kind of popped up when you said that for me. I, I, I think kind of like governance is, is somehow like security uh, and somehow it's might be like quantity as well, but, but also it depends on like what kind of like governance in, in, in terms of like uh, you know, who are participating in, in your system and, and what are their kind of like uh, incentives and how they're aligned uh, towards what you're doing. But somehow I think with, with this kind of like a proof of stake systems and, and where, where you have staking involved, it could be even in, on the network level where, for example, in Ava we have. Uh, I, I think it's kind of like economics because I, I think you can't be like passively participating and leave the decision making actively to, to someone else with delegation or somehow to the extent when when things are working well and 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 basically uh you know i come from finland which is a small country in in the nordics and and people don't vote much because things are working very well but i, I think if we're working very well what will happen <laughs> is that, that people could vote you know but it, it's not a clear case i mean there are countries where you know, things are not working and you don't, you don't want to vote either. So, but the, the kind of point is that uh, I, I think we might go to a direction where it starts to look more like a corporate governance in, in the sense that the underlying protocols are very economical. If, if you're speaking of DeFi, we are, if you're speaking DeFi, I mean, these are practically uh, banks running on chain. I, I mean, highly likely they will be governed a bit like uh, businesses, but but more in community oriented wide. You know, uh, I guess so far we've had quite an interesting experience of uh, of curve being governed uh, by like non corporate way. Um, well, it was 
basically it was um, trying to find all whales and ask them uh, to uh, to basically vote uh, with regards to one or other proposal. And the hardest thing is, of course, getting the quorum. So we had like the threshold, we have threshold of 30%. And we've been uh, usually getting this threshold, but it was pretty hard with, uh, let's say, if, uh, if the, when the company uh, was having, let's say, 4% or 5% of voting power. So the rest, 25%, is, is apparently pretty hard to get. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it worked. Um, but I think what probably would make sense to do if, if let's say, if not go the corporate uh, way, right? Uh, that's possible, I think, but I think it needs, uh, well, first it probably needs some, uh, needs delegation maybe. And I think the best, uh, um, the most interesting one uh, would be liquid democracy, where you, let's say, delegate your vote to someone. So when someone votes, if, if you don't vote, then the vote of, of that someone else is used. But if that guy doesn't vote, then uh, the one who he delegates to is, uh, is used as a vote and so on. So you could uh, have this kind of uh, structure of votes. And, uh, like Twitter, if, if, if I follow you and you follow uh, Tarun, then Tarun gets all the votes. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But, well, uh, unless unless you decide to vote, then, then it's you who vote, yep. not Tarun. And, and if I vote, it's like, yeah. So um, uh, so you kind of can override the, this kind of back off. But if you don't vote, then the default choice is used if there is any choice at all. Um, and that's kind of... Um, I don't know how it works in practice. I don't think a anyone implemented uh, fully working liquid democracy on chain. Definitely, that was. Oh, their, definitely did. That's their that's their number one marketing point. Yeah. It's oh, okay. So it's in their code base. I, I haven't I haven't voted, so I don't. Perfect. Know. Should be ported to Ethereum. <laughs> I, I think. Um, I've always kind of thought that the, one of the most interesting things to come out of DeFi was this governance, like kind of making DAOs like version two, like fix a lot of stuff and kind of have it do something. Um, like I, I think it's been like a really cool to see like how people have taken those approaches and have plugged them into protocols that do something. Um, but I still think that like the social networking side of it like actually building a community is underappreciated right now like do you guys think that these networks can grow to like 100 million people all in the same kind of like protocol in the same defi like eco like in the same defi coin do you guys foresee like you know like look solana can handle 100 million participants to vote like <laughs> Do, do you see? Do you think that we can get a hundred million people to go all buy the same coin, outside of Bitcoin, for non-speculative reasons? Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I, I think one thing I'd say is that you can't make something out of nothing with this. I think it sort of applies to like, you know, governance and participation and staking and rewards and 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 staking derivatives and everything like that. That like, 
their importance scales with how much people would otherwise care about what's going on. And like, you know, I think we're sort of past the point where you can just like create that skeleton and be like, hey guys, we've got like staking and yield and governance and staking derivatives. It's all this one coin we just made up, go do it. And then people are like, great, we're gonna go do it. Uh, let's see how many people get to govern the inflation of this coin with no protocol. Um, uh, but that if you do have something that people are otherwise starting to use, you can really amplify it with all of these things and you can start to get a lot of adoption of the governance and everything else if there's a lot of adoption of the of the like sort of underlying protocol. And I think that like, you know, one thing that sort of ties together, you know, a lot of the, uh, uh, well, I think like everyone on this call who has a token is that like, there's something other than the token going on in the protocol. And so, you know, I think it's one thing to say like, well, how about like, can you get a bunch of people to, to you know, participate in Aave governance? And the answer is maybe, I mean, I think step one is getting a ton of people to use Aave and to be borrowing and lending with it, not for yield or rewards or for governance or staking derivatives, but because they have one asset and they want to borrow a different one instead. And then once you have that as a baseline, you have a lot of people who are invested and then you have a lot of people who have nothing to do with Aave, but start getting involved in the governance because they see all these other people who are using the protocol. And so it's like something to govern. And then you can start to like really exponentially grow all of the structure around it. I think that, you know, the same is true of balance and of curve. Like those are actual protocols that people use. Um, and, uh, and so I think like, um, you know, I do think these things can be super powerful, but I also think it's like important not to put the cart before the horse here and to like first have a thing worth governing and then try and govern it. Right. Well, and also, good point. I guess, yeah, also, I guess getting back to, to the like participation rate in governance, um, it's, it's pro probably it is higher when the votes are contentious. Like, like if everyone agrees with something, obviously, or everyone disagrees, people don't even vote much. And I guess that's where delegation would be actually great. But when something is contentious, so imagine, I don't know, um, RV governance voting with regards to, I don't know, uh, raising um, uh, borrow rate by factor of five and uh, as, as well as the supply rate. So borrowers are kind of totally against that, suppliers are totally for that, and they are kind of uh, fighting each other or something. Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's a good example, but um, um, yeah, so um, I guess that's, that's, that's where like the people's vote matters most. And I have to agree with Michael on, on, on this, that people maybe stress too much about the, you know, like how, how many votes are showing up, uh, you know, like, and, and I, I, I think some of the project might stress it out also because, you know, um, you kind of want to know or understand like what kind of uh, mandate, like how extended mandate you need to actually uh, pass a decision. Because let's say if you have a, a big, change in the protocol, uh, is it sufficient that you pass it, let's say, with, with uh, half a percent or percent uh, quorum or let's say four and all, all those kind of like things, you know, and, and so some of the, 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 the protocols, they have very high, uh, you know, the, 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 the quorum or the voting threshold. And I, I think it's just kind of like, uh, as, as Michael said, that if there's something super controversial, 
people will show up and there's there's campaigning uh, but it's, if it's something like let's say uh, uh, could be in, in, in Ovid just changing the uh, collateral factor by you know five percent or liquidation incentives uh, those are things that probably like not many will, will come you know but the controversial stuff uh, that, that's that's a different story and people probably will fight fight for this well, one yeah one thing about that I think that maybe sometimes needs to be thought of before uh, building these things is sort of what you mean by like fast governance and slow governance like changing a collateral factor because liquidators can't liquidate because there is a market crash that's like a fast vote right that's not like something that you want you even need to really go through like the two-week process of like hey we want to redistribute tokens uh to certain people, because that's like a very qualitative uh, judgment call type of vote. So I think I think in some ways, like yeah, liquid democracy is one of these angles that tries to like not force the users to, to have to think about this. But yeah, there is definitely a bit of cart before the horse, and I, it is kind of sad in some ways to see a lot of the stuff that was invented in 2017 and 16 kind of. <laughs> be completely useless for proof of stake because no one in proof of stake ever wants to make any decisions. Everyone's super conservative. And DeFi is the only place that like all of that research is getting applied. Do you, in, in that in that sense, like there was a kind of one of the top questions is about flash loads and, and those kinds of attacks. Do you think that people are gonna like how, how far away are we from like governance attack vectors? where like people try to game a particular protocol to cause something to happen for their own benefit or are yeah. you guys already seeing this we have a lot of discussion on this I, I think there is uh actually this is a kind of like a interesting point because i, I think it was like fifty thousand uh mkr or or if i correctly remember that you need to actually activate the the um uh the 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 uh, what do you call it like emer emergency shutdown in 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 the MakerDAO uh system and and also kind of like this borrowing for voting it's 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 a big question now especially if you can uh you know vote with in the future let's say with with a tokens or c tokens and and, and whatnot it becomes very challenging but the question also is for me that uh let's say borrowing assets to to make to affect into the governance in, in let's say, in good governance that has been seen in, in, in corporate governance. I mean, as a kind of like a not not so good practice in in, in that sense. But uh, there's there's many ways to to mitigate uh, various things. But here in on-chain ecosystem, practically uh, <laughs> there is less uh, things. So you need to design systems uh, pretty. Uh, damn well that that kind of like you mitigate governance attacks but the issue of course is that uh, we never know how big this opportunity is so let's say if you have to lock your tokens to vote uh, kind of like uh, for how long a period you're able to uh, take that locking risk by borrowing a lot of assets and, and making a bigger uh, kind of a profit from that and I, I think there isn't clear uh, you know like uh, yes or no uh, what I've been following in the other governance forum, it's 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 pretty much like there's sort of kind of like uh, arguments that that governance tokens shouldn't shouldn't be 
borrowed. But then again, like uh, their assets as any assets and, you know, comparable to shares and, and, and why not? So it's really difficult to say. And I think what, what works very well in, in DeFi is, is being conservative, especially times like this. And, and this is practically the reason that every governance token we have well, listed in Aave has been practically uh, without the capability of borrowing at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, well, it's, it's probably better to to include the protections on the, on the protocol which uses the governance token itself like if you if you if you can take your token vote and leave that's probably pretty bad because uh, you you could you could manipulate but even if not like for example like on on curve you uh, we, we do we kind of vote lock tokens so they are uh, you, you really commit for a long time uh, and uh, that, that's good but uh, I I can quite see that some are for some protocols it is uh, it is possible to even let's say if, if you look for uh, if you look for some like uh, if, if you if you look for a protocol where uh, which struggles to get a quorum, and the quorum kind of the quorum requirement is low. At the same time, uh, with low market cap, then it could be cheap enough to just buy tokens, do something bad, and forget about those tokens. So even even if if you didn't try, like borrow them, even if you bought them, it could be like enough. It's enough of an incentive. Well, the good thing is that all the voting takes time. So if there is a malicious vote, uh, it will be visible that it's malicious. And uh, people who use the protocol will have time to, time to leave. But uh, basically, I guess the vulnerability here is not so much uh, making an exploit for money, but more like uh, making an exploit like uh, having users of the protocol to either leave or be vulnerable. And obviously, uh, rational users will leave and this will destroy the protocol. So that's kind of what uh, the governance uh, attacks open you, open you up to. And um, I guess another mitigation of the attacks is not allowing to change the code of the protocol arbitrarily by governance. Like, I, I don't think governance is ready for arbitrary code changes. Uh, of course, like when you have, um, when you have the um, company and the team owning like all the governance, uh, uh, all the governance tokens, then it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not distinguished from the company uh, owning that uh, protocol. And then of course they can change the code, but then it's kind of, uh, it's also not, um, well, not, not very, not very safe, like you, 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 you really need to trust that company to do that. But when the protocol is truly decentralized, then you are kind of open to all these sorts of governance attacks. And if you can do arbitrary code changes with all the state which holds the money, then I guess it's, uh, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. So it sounds like this, I mean, I think a lot of what's been said is sort of potentially in support of the case for um, crypto projects really taking their time. And it, it differs from project to project, but really taking their time before like making that step to full decentralization. 
because of all of the unknown unknowns and, and how early we are in decentralized governance right now, I think for some projects, it can make sense, of course, to, you know, be feature complete and, and, and go, you know, fully decentralized from day one. But I think for other projects, um, you know, it probably makes a lot of sense to, to really, you know, take time and, and treat that as an incremental process. Yeah, or, or it's possible to, to solve it by simply the token distribution. So let's say initial tokens are held by the project, I don't know, investors, whatever, and then they, and then the project is centralized at the beginning, although governed by tokens, but then it's gradually transitioned into decentralization by just the way of the way of token distribution. Yeah, so, so we're almost like, out of we have five minutes left. I kind of wanted to ask you guys, like, you know, what does this look like five years from now? Like, what are, what are we working towards? Like, <laughs> like five years is like infinity in crypto, right? Like, well, you know, what do you guys think will actually change like by, by this? I have a hard time thinking beyond six six weeks from now because that's kind of effectively one sprint. So mm. beyond that, it's like a black hole. Like anything could happen. Oh. <laughs> most traditional banks being obsolete. Uh, most of uh, world finance are running on chain. With this space, that's uh, that's not impossible. Well, I would say ten years. Though. Like what what does that mean? Do I actually like? Do I have an ATM card that spits out dollars that's connected to like Ave mm. or like? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, well, I, I guess most probably, most probably you can interact with Ave or Curve directly, or you can go to your traditional bank, which will do nothing else than interacting with Ave or Curve or Balancer. <laughs> And it, it, yeah, it'll be I, just a, banks will be front faces to DeFi. Yeah, I'd also like to share the, the vision that, that practically, you know, this is so unstoppable and it's already too obvious. So it's very difficult to, you know, uh, put the reverse gear on this technology and, and basically create something uh, more control, controllable and, and, and less efficient. And I, I think the only way to, to kind of like for the traditional finance to, uh, you know, keep up with is, is practically join the ecosystem one way or another and, and provide the access. And the, the thing as Michael also pointed out that what they have is the brands and user bases that they can connect and probably they they will become the, the, the front end DeFi shop for the DeFi protocols. And one thing I I, I, I can predict that if if they if this happens, uh, these DeFi protocols and all of these networks that, that are now uh, they might become substantially uh, uh, large and not just by the extent that they are uh, kind of like eating uh, whatever is out there, uh, you know, but because it's so efficient and it's so efficient to build things that we never have seen anything like this uh, before. Anyone can just, uh, you know, just uh, deploy code from any part of the world and create the next, you know, uh, Curve or Aave and, and, and whatnot. And, and this is like the beauty, you know, you can create very specialized products that will be accessible for wide demographic. 
I guess I can I can also tell a pretty dark perspective which Anatoly will uh, will like, and uh, this is that <laughs> this is that um, in in five years one transaction on Ethereum will cost a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> And only banks will be able to transact on DeFi, so they will introduce KYC, KYC and everything. So, I mean, but to be fair, validators' identities are known, so I, it's not it's already a form of KYC, and for mistake. But uh, they don't have to be. I mean, they're still registering to the network, and I can measure their I can measure latency to their box, but. I think I'll, maybe I'll take a different tact. You know, I think everyone else wants to like, you know, have the the, the Stripe Stripe version DeFi uh, narrative, which I think is definitely that's the most appealing one. But I'm I'm personally more interested in in the privacy uh, improvements over the next uh, five years. I really think those are quite key to actually getting DeFi in the hands of uh, more traditional investors. Um, and right now, you know, thanks to the Moore's law that we're having, you know, in hardware, there's no more Moore's law. We're done. Scaling's over. Go home. Uh, but in, in zero knowledge proof land, the, the Moore's law is actually quite amazing right now. Um, and I think it's quite hard to see if you're not like really at the conferences, reading papers, um, looking at the performance numbers and stuff like that. But like, you know, since the first sort of ZK Snark paper in 2012, we're about uh, one trillion times larger in terms of the compute capacity we can we can uh, handle and approve. And I think generating private DeFi primitives is the is the future to really getting to this hundred million voter world. Uh, and I think scaling is just super important. I think. In any world that really matters, scaling matters way more than it gets credit for. I think people often think of scaling as needing to get another factor of 100 uh, so that like AMMs on Ethereum are useful with current adoption. That's with a 1,000 users. If you want a billion users, you need another, another three orders of magnitude. And if you want to have something that uh, has like powerful applications, you're going to need another two above that. And so I think like realistically speaking, you know, in order for, for DeFi to really get huge, you need a factor of a million um, above Ethereum in terms of throughput. And uh, and I think it's just like, I wouldn't quite say worth dismissing out of hand any chain that doesn't have a roadmap to get there, but I actually do like legitimately believe a sort of a weaker version of that as far as the potential for it to become huge. Now, a chain can abs, you know, a chain or an ecosystem can absolutely have the potential to become like, you know, moderately sized without that, right? Like if your goal is to have DeFi be a hundred billion dollar sector, uh, that doesn't need a factor of a million, that needs a factor of a thousand or something. Um, and and that would still be pretty cool. Like, you know, that that would be a lot more than we have now. And and like that that's starting to approach Bitcoin levels or, you know, current Bitcoin levels. Um, but if, if you're thinking that it's going to be a lot bigger than that, like, you know, just need to keep adding orders of magnitude. And like, it's not like you need infinity. Like you need, there's sort of like, you know, how many people there are in the world? Like, you know, how much, you know, how much data the internet consumes, you know, how much data, you know, NASDAQ traces through. Like, like you, you can sort of like ballpark these numbers. Um, I think it's just like incredibly important. And that like 
people underestimate how much we need more than just a bit more throughput in order to really scale. And again, we don't need it all tomorrow. We need it all in 10 years, but like, uh, you know, you better have a roadmap for getting there in 10 years and you better have a lot more than we have now tomorrow. I, I want to add one other thing, which is that the, the, in my mind, the only way to actually scale uh, in the long run is uh, a lot of new cryptographic primitives. So the compression from a lot of the new zero knowledge proof uh, schemes, as well as the level of interactivity going down means that you know, you're getting much closer to Bitcoin-like experiences on smart contracts in five to 10 years um, with you know, proof sizes that are 256 bytes or you know, 1,024 bytes. So that, that, that's, kind of, that's the way you get to a million times scaling. I don't think it's coming from like hardware or you know, sorry, actually. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You can get like a surprising number of orders of magnitude right now if you really try. Yep. I don't know if it's surprising, oh, but you need a bunch. I guess better to combine everything, and that's where you get it. There you there's, a lot of sand to <laughs> there's a lot of sand to organize. Surprising amount of sand. Um, but what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I would, I would throw in maybe like a macro perspective, more zoomed out, where um, I would, I think that like building in the space will continue, you know, continuously grow sort of maybe in a more like linear fashion, whereas <clears throat> adoption and entry into the, into the market or into the ecosystem of new entrants will kind of continue to follow sort of a cyclical pattern um, where, you know, it, it experiences uh, periods of booms and, and periods of slow slowing down. And those cycles might kind of continue to tighten in terms of like the frequency and the length of those cycles. I, I kind of tend to agree with all of you guys, even Tarun, in terms of like what the future holds. Um, just in terms of my opinions on scaling or, or something like that is like somebody really smart told me to do all the cryptography at the last possible moment because the research there basically changes every two months. <laughs> so, it, it's like hardware in the 80s, right? It's like people didn't get yeah, tenure yeah. because they weren't studying the right, you know, the right hardware that was doubling every 18 months. Yeah. So that, so that, like, I kind of think that that's just kind of part of the, how the system, how the general ecosystem matures. I, I would say that like, what I'm excited about is kind of breaking out of the box a little bit, like having more users than just like MetaMask users in the space. And not, not like that there's like another version of MetaMask with its own set, like just my mom asked me about Bitcoin, not because I'm working on a crypto startup, but because the amount of like airdrops the federal government in the US is giving her like is scaring her because she remind, it reminds her of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and like that, that's what freaked her out. And like those, those kinds of users are like out there um, and I think that's just kind of like the base kind of fear approach, but there's opportunities outside of store value, which is I think the simplest version of DeFi, like I have a savings account to like get people in and get them to understand that there's, you know, less fees, like less middlemen trying to screw you and kind of more open and transparent systems that are like 
not like trying to like scam every month 12 bucks out of your account for some random reason or something like that like that to me i think is like like the more exciting part is is like getting people to understand that there's like a difference once they understand it then they can they will like jump over hoops to learn you know how to deal with like with the key pairs it's not that hard right <laughs> they just have to have like a need like a need to do it so I think also the, the size of the jupes, the, the hoops that they would need to jump through will continue to shrink. I think like the yeah. UX needs to continue to improve. And of course, it's sort of basic foundational things like throughput and, and fees, you know, those things coming into the right place uh, to essentially create like a very comfortable bridge from, you know, DeFi into DeFi, where it actually doesn't feel like you're crossing a bridge that much. I think I think that's an important uh, thing that'll happen. Cool. Well, um, I think we're like basically over time, unless you guys want to hang out. But <laughs> I'm sure you're all busy and have uh, like companies to run, like or or three companies to run, and like tons of other stuff to do. Uh, it's been really awesome to, to talk to you folks. I, I hope in five years we get a chance to grab a beer together somewhere. Hopefully I hope so. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Cool. All right.